Happy New Year's Eve Eve Day to Al Bat. How you doing, Al? Boy, I'm doing great. It's uh, I uh, I can't believe the another year has gone by so quickly. But other than that, I, you know, it kind of it stuns me like uh, like a stun gun for just a little while. Every year when that happens, you just uh, I don't know. You just remember when we were kids, Karen? You know, little. It just seemed like time would drag on. And you think, oh gosh, you know, will Saturday ever get here? I don't think so. And then you and always then wish that sudden, when you always said, I can't wait till I grow up and can do this, this, and this. And now you're like, why couldn't yeah. I go back to when I was a kid? Yeah, and me, it was 15. Oh, I couldn't wait to be 15 because then I could get a driver's oh. license. <laughs> and I thought, man, that. And of course, what do I do right away? Uh, put a dent in dad's <gasps> car. So oh, that no. was, wasn't a. Yeah, I think I drove for a couple weeks before I did that, so it was pretty good. But was it with your permit? And then I got to, was it with the permit or when you actually got the license? We had those. You'd get a farm permit, and oh, then sure. it would automatically go over to a license mm-hmm. when you turned 16. So we were allowed to drive. We were. I think we were only supposed to drive during the day, and but I think we could do farm yes. business at night. So if we were driving a truck or something like that, and... I got a speeding ticket, 35 and a 30, in Blooming Prairie, Minnesota, and lost my license for 32 days because it was supposed to be 30 days, but it fell on a weekend, and so I didn't get it till Monday, and my dad was very unhappy with me, and and I was actually doing farm business, but I I picked up a young lady and took her (laughs) along, so I was up to shenanigans too, but 35 and a 30, and that's what I was doing. I wasn't doing 55, but uh, as soon as he saw I was 15, he thought, well, here you go. You're getting something here. And so they just, they couldn't find me, so they yanked my license. Oh. That was My dad uh, was real happy with my driving ability right from the get-go. I got a speeding ticket and put a dent in his car. So it was all, it was better after that. I failed my first try at the driver's training test because I failed at the parallel parking. At home, I practiced with the tractor. I, what I would do, Dad would put a tractor and then leave a space and then put another tractor or a wagon or something, and that was how I learned to, to parallel park. So apparently that wasn't good enough practice between real cars, so that was my failure, and my sister loves to point that out because she didn't fail her first time, but that oh. was what I did, apparently, that you need real cars and not just tractors. <laughs> I have a friend who has a Tesla. He's always wanted a Tesla, and he got to the point where he could buy a Tesla. And so I'm riding with him, and he just, uh, I don't know if he presses a button or what, and it does that auto park thing. Cool. So he just automatically parallel park. Because I looked, and I said, you know, you you sure it can get in there? There isn't a whole lot of room. Boy, just zip, zip, and it was oh. in there. It was incredible how good that was. I'd still be there. Yes. I'd be there for like two days trying to get into that parking place that this thing took uh, two seconds. It was it was pretty impressive. I know it's not just Tesla. A lot of other cars do that, but it just happened to be in a Tesla. You know, I was outside in the morning and uh, just gathered enough light. It's that beautiful time of day, kind of a, I don't know, twilight thing where the dark is just leaving and the light is coming. And I know most of us think of twilight as in the evening, but we certainly get that in the morning where we get the both both types of light. 
And I marveled at the handsome white-tailed deer. And this buck had really impressive antlers. And they usually start dropping them, oh, probably most of them around the middle of January. And he paid little attention to me. He just ignored me. And I wondered why. And I looked, you know, I followed his eyes. And he was watching a coyote trotting past. And the coyote paid no attention to either of us. It had other things on its mind. It just trotted by. And I watched it go, and it went into kind of a, oh, I guess we'd call it shrubbery. And I gloried in the lovely red color of the red twig dogwood. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, people call it red osier dogwood, red willow, uh, red brush, dogberry tree, and, uh, and a lot of other names. And it was it was just one of those moments where you you just say, "Wow, that was that was really cool." And I know you've had some deer visiting your yard during the day. Well, I'm kind of concerned and, about it, Al, because, you know, I, I pride my gardens and especially my hostas, and to this point, they haven't bothered them too much, but now there's a couple of deer who have made residence of sleeping in between or under our arborvitae. We've got a nice big hedge of arborvitae, and there's a couple amur maples that provide a lot of shelter, and we looked out the window several times, and there they are laying right under there, sleeping and I went out to take some pictures and they just kind of looked at me and didn't really do much so they're obviously comfortable there. So my concern is why have they chosen this new site and does this mean that they realize there's something better coming in the spring like a big banquet? I mean is there a specific yeah. reasons why they will pick a, a yard to to sleep in? Mainly I guess there's two reasons. One is food and the other one is security. They feel mm. safe there. And very often they're young ones. Are they fairly small yet? Well, they seem kind of medium to me, but I don't know. I guess okay. they seem sort of medium. I was doing a Christmas bird count, and I went and stopped at a friend's place, and we sit down. He's just a good guy. We love spending time talking to him because he knows stuff, and he's just a good guy. And we're looking out, and here come two. They'd been fawns of this year, but they came up, and they came to the bird feeders, and he would say, oh, those two, and he'd go outside and clap his hands, and their <laughs> white tails would show, and they'd bound away almost before he could get sat back down in his chair and take up our conversation again. Here those two would be back again. And they were young ones, and one would eat, and the other one would kind of hit it with its hoof in the back, like saying, come on, we got to go. You know, this is, <laughs> I'm assuming the one was feeling anxious, and the other one said, you know, no problem. These are, they come out and yell at us every so often, but, you know, they don't shoot at us or anything, so don't worry about this. And there was the same reason, I think. They had food, and then they they felt safe there because nobody was harming them other than that initial chase, and maybe they kind of enjoyed that, got the adrenaline going. And I, I say this often, they will eat arborvitae needles. <gasps> Uh-oh. So anything because... that can eat Arborvitae will eat anything. Well, I did quit putting bird seed out because the squirrels have found that, and it's a futile effort on my part. So in the past, they have come to the front yard to get the the bird seed, but I just said, forget it. You squirrels are getting everything. Goodbye. Not going to do that. So they are by the arborvitae. So is it possible they are eating them? Uh, We do have one of the most well-protected yards in terms of I have a lot of 
trees and shrubs and things around. So maybe that's it, but maybe they're eating. I'll have to go check, I guess. And and worried, concerned and that they're going to make a home of this. And then in the spring when things start to come out, they're going to think this is a buffet. I haven't noticed them eating arborvitae because it's kind of the food of last resort. Oh, okay. It's like for us, you know, uh, that non-lutefisk eaters, we're hungry, and we'll say, oh, do we have anything other than lutefisk? And then we'll eat it as a last resort. So they will eat that kind of as a last resort. And with the nice weather we've had and a lot of open, they've just had so much food to mm-hmm. eat. You know, they can still find acorns to eat. So it, it's been it's been a good winter. I know winter's real short here, but it's been a good <laughs> winter so far for deer. So they probably have not taken to arborvitae yet. Uh, as of yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I always figure it's a bad winter when they start eating the arborvitae and they do it most years because most years we have a bad winter. Even our good winters are bad winters. It's just the way we look at them and uh, folks from Oh, what did my Aunt Helen used to say? Folks from civilized lands don't appreciate our winters. And I thought, that's a pretty good way to put it, too. Should I start discouraging them right now to to keep them away when I do see them chase them away or something so they don't get too comfortable? Or wouldn't that really matter? What do you think? Yeah, you know, deer are crepuscular, so they're most active at dawn and dusk. So during the day, that's why you see them snoozing because they just, uh, it's their time off. So uh, you sure can try it, but you might have the same luck my buddy <laughs> Phil has when he runs out. So he gives him exercise, too. Yeah. He gets running out there, and he likes them. He just doesn't want them eating all his um, his bird seed that he puts out. Right. And they bound away, but they come right back because mm-hmm. they just know. But I, I would think if you harass something long enough, <laughs> it would finally say, you know, I don't, think those people although when i was a kid there was a sweet lady lived in heartland and she would invite us knuckleheads in when we were little boys and give us cookies and they were fresh out of the oven warm and soft and then her husband would come home and tell us to get the heck out of his house and he didn't want to see us hanging around there anymore and he was smarter in some ways than she was because he understood he'd been a boy but she was so sweet, and she kept inviting us back. He'd chase us out, but we kept coming back. So we were kind of like those the deer. We'd get chased away, but we knew there was food there, and there was a sweet lady that that liked us. You also been smelling a, a lovely aroma of skunks I, along the I roadway. I have, and you know, it's. I know that we've had snow on the ground, and then it got a little warmer, but not that warm when I've smelled it a few times. I've been driving just in town here, not not even in the country, but in town, and I thought, well, what in the heck? Shouldn't they be hibernating or something? Why aren't they hibernating this time of year? Because it's winter. Yeah, and skunks, and We. I typically think of February for some reason when oh. I start smelling skunks I, yeah. a lot. Well, this Valentine's is Day, I think they're out, and just they're, they're big into Valentine's Day, apparently, <laughs> skunks. Skunks, once they find a uh, winter home, the striped skunk becomes dormant, but it doesn't enter into a full state oh. of hibernation. So they go into a state of torpor, and it's a deep sleep, but they awake from time to time, and they may emerge briefly from their den at any time during the winter. 
So I think the weather was just so nice, they thought, well, I'll get up and, and do a stroll, and then they get hit by a Toyota. <laughs> and uh, so then we have that smell. Or they might have had a uh, oh, disagreement with a raccoon <laughs> or a coyote or something like that, too. So they... Uh, it happens, and that's probably the reason. I had three common grackles show up at the feeders here right around Christmas, oh. and not not many would accuse them of being the three wise birds, but uh, perhaps, you know, they were traveling as part of a wagon train. Remember those old cowboy movies? Oh, yeah. Always folks go off on the wagon train, and they get a bad wagon master, and then they get <laughs> lost. So maybe these guys had a bad wagon master. Where do the skunks make their dens is what I want to know, because I don't want to accidentally run into one and have an encounter with them, per se. Oh, you know, the the one that comes right to mind, because I just talked to somebody about this, it was under their deck of their house. Yeah, they weren't real happy about having it under there, and uh, they said next year they're going to put some sort of barring around the deck, but they need to get that skunk out. Uh, they will den in tree hollows, hollowed-out logs, brush piles, uh, abandoned animal burrows like groundhogs, uh, underneath porches or decks, other structures, uh, farm buildings. They are capable of digging their own burrows underground, but I think they will they'll attempt to uh, den up in other places that are already bought and paid for maybe they want to come in and look it over and say this is a place but they are capable of uh, of digging their own den so you can find them in many many places and many times it's around people i guess they kind of like us uh, we're just uh, right up their alley are they eating anything we might have out i mean they don't necessarily like seeds do they not so much they are omnivores so they will eat oh, a little bit of everything. They love in the fall of the year, late summer and fall, we see where they've been digging in our yard mm-hmm. because uh, they like those grubs. Sure. So they find a lot of grubs. So they'll eat earthworms, grubs, they'll eat rodents, lizards, oh, salamanders, frogs, snakes, birds. They'll eat moles. There aren't a whole lot of things that will eat moles. They, like everything else, will eat eggs, but they also eat berries and roots, leaves, grasses, nuts, so uh, a little bit of everything. And um, they're cute, skunks. Uh, They don't smell the best, but they're cute. I wish they would have an affinity for Japanese beetle grubs. If I could just get, I'd buy a whole bunch, I don't know what a bunch of skunk is called, but I'd buy a whole bunch of them and just have them do the Japanese beetle grubs, and then I then I wouldn't mind them so much. They will eat those grubs, because they will eat any grub, I think. I, I'm sure there's a skunk that says, I'm not eating that kind of grub. They taste nasty, <laughs> but I think they will eat pretty much um, any kind of grub. So they certainly do get some of our Japanese beetles. So Ooh. they do some good there. A lot of folks aren't always appreciative of it because they do dig up a, a lawn. So no, I want to know what a, a group of skunks is called. It's not a herd. It's not a litter. Uh, what is it? Skunks. Um, you know, oh, I, I sumped them. Oh, yeah. I want to say uh, S-U-R-F-E-I-T. Surfite? Yeah, I want to say, and I hope I'm, I could be wrong on that, folks, so don't take it to the bank. But for some reason, that's what it's, I think, baby skunks, I know, are called kits. 
And uh, usually when you see skunks together, it's a family of skunks. I mean, it's Ma with all the babies. But I think that's it. I'm going to look it up later, but I think that's what it is. And you were also in Florida because you got to go to Florida, and you encountered boat-tail grackles. And these yes, are loud large, and obnoxious. Lanky. Yeah, they're very noisy. They have long legs and pointed bills, and the males have these very long tails that make up about half their body length, I'm I'm figuring, and they hold them folded in kind of a V-shape like the keel of a boat, and that's how they get the name boat-tail grackles. Yeah, and they have these real harsh notes to their sounds they make and uh, low-pitch guttural rolls, and you also saw cattle egrets? Yes, there was a, uh, a a bunch of beef, and I swear each beef had a white, one of those white egrets by them, following them around. Oh, neat. I like cattle egrets. We don't get near enough of them here. Um, they have adaptable diets, but it's primarily insects, and they like the insects that the cattle chase up, but they also eat you know, fish, frogs. Well, anything else that can find grasshoppers, crickets are probably a, the main thing, I would guess, those two. You know how when cows get bit and they get, I don't know, some kind of fly or something lays a grub in them? My dad always used to pop them out. They'd be under the hide. Oh, Do, yeah. Is there any birds that, that eat those out of, like, the cow hide to help them get rid of them? Like oxpeckers. Yeah, I don't know that we have many birds here that will do that. Because my dad always uh, used to take and pop them out, and it was just it was just gross. All of a sudden, this giant grub would emerge from the top of the cow's hide, and I was like, "How in the world did that thing get in there?" But apparently, something. Yeah, yeah. my dad would do the same with uh, sometimes a little jackknife. If it didn't come out very easy, he had to get that out. And uh, yeah, it's amazing how they how they do that, and uh, we get all those things that get on uh, cattle blowfly and all these kind of things, and they're all. They're all nasty on mm-hmm. cows. I always felt so sorry for poor cows. Yeah, oh, it just it looked like they were hurting a lot, mm-hmm. but they didn't complain much. You never heard a cow say things are going really poorly. So you also saw the third bird you saw a lot of there was the white ibis, and it's one of the most numerous wading birds in Florida. Mm-hmm. They're a highly sociable. They roost and feed in flocks. They nest in large colonies. And these are the ones they forage, they walk slowly in shallow water, and they sweep their bill from side to side and probe at the bottom. They'll also forage on land, especially mud or short grass. But uh, they like it's fun watching them. And uh, folks that are into ancient Egyptians, um, the African ibis was venerated by ancient Egyptians, so it would be a different species. But they were, they were um, pretty cool birds. Rita Granson of Mason City uh, let me know about the Christmas bird count they did down there on December 21st. They had 49 species, uh, eastern bluebirds, rough-legged hawks, pine siskins, of which I did not see at all on a Christmas bird count, a pileated woodpecker, tufted titmouse, and a saw-wet owl, Townsend solitaire, but no partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Chad Hines saw a lark sparrow, Sharp-shinned hawk, Cooper's hawk, yellow-bellied sapsucker, Carolina wren, and a Townsend solitaire in Blue Earth County, and a golden eagle in Nicollet County. Brian Smith had a trumpeter swan in Martin County. Peter Matson, a sandhill crane in Mauer County. 
Dave Bartke, a sharp shin hawk in Rice County. Robert Watson, a Carolina wren in Mauer County. Jan Wicklund sent me a photo of a pile of feathers. Uh, she said they're uh, long feathers, mostly muted, dark color, a few with a white edge leading to a white tip of the feather, kind of reddish feet. And she was wondering if I had any idea what that would be. And it looked like it was a mourning dove that probably met its demise uh, with a, a hawk of some sort. Uh, Phil Moraim of Albert Lee had 24 squirrels. That's right, 24 squirrels on the deck of his home oh at gosh. one time. And he gets that many because he feeds them well because he wants them to leave his bird feeders alone. And among uh, a group of squirrels I know is called a scurry, S-C-U-R-R-Y. Among this scurry, there were four black squirrels. And black squirrels are gray squirrels in disguise. They're a color variation, not a separate species. And the color is a result of a genetic mutation that causes excessive pigmentation. They're melanistic, which refers to melanin, a dark pigment. And the black fur, the black fur offers a thermal advantage, enhancing survival during extremely cold weather. Anybody's had a black cat like you or a black dog, if they're in the sunlight at all, boy, you can just feel that, that heat stays in there. So that's what works for these squirrels. Uh, Jim Grady of uh, Fairmont, a very good guy, said he and Steve Maurice had uh, gotten started on this year's Martin County Conservation Club's Nest House Building Project. They're building Peterson-style bluebird houses along with wood duck and wren houses. And uh, it's all built using 100% recycled or salvaged lumber, and they give them away. Once they're done with them, they give oh, them all nice. away. And they've been doing this for... Oh, I don't know how many years. I should know, but I don't. And uh, Jim said, I w recently watched some blue jays at my ear corn feeder. Some would take only two or three kernels into their storage pouches and fly off to cache or eat elsewhere. One particular bird would take seven kernels every time be before he flew off. Yeah, well, we all have somebody in our family that's like that. You know, we see them at Christmas and uh, Jim said that same day I had a red-bellied woodpecker using the ear corn feeder and three downy woodpeckers arguing over whose turn it was to use the suet feeder. A question for you, Al, regarding chickadee roosting boxes. I built one 25 years ago for use in our club's park property. I've never closely monitored it for use by the birds. I have found evidence that wrens have nested in it. Are these boxes worth the trouble to build and install if there's little chance they will see any use? Uh, yeah, and I have seen birds in there. A guy in, I want to say Adams, called me one day and we went out. He had a, a number of chickadees in one of them. Uh, they typically don't like one another's company that closely anyway. They're not huggers. <laughs> but at this time, they're all in there staying warm. So they do use them. Do they use them a lot? I can't say I've seen a lot of uh, use by them, but they certainly have been used. You know, generally um, what I see in bird houses is, is usually the wrens, at least the ones I have, the wrens are the ones who make their homes there. So at least somebody's using them, maybe not the ones you want, but at least somebody's getting a nice house. That's exactly right, and uh, I hope Jim hangs in there, and maybe he'll find time to monitor him. I know he's a busy guy, but 
Then you can let us know how it's going. A fine listener told about hauling, trapping squirrels and hauling them away <laughs> and said, how far away should I haul a squirrel I've live trapped to make sure it won't return to my yard? I don't know, uh, but I do know there's a paper, and it's called Movement and Mortality of Translocated Urban Suburban Gray Squirrels, and it was published in 2004, and it focused on live-trapped radio-collared squirrels that were moved from a suburb of Washington, D.C. to a large wooded area. And the study found that 97% of the relocated squirrels died or disappeared from the release area within three months. And why would that be? Relocated squirrels have difficulty finding food, water, safe hiding places, and shelter. And being dumped in the home range of other squirrels leads to territorial disputes. When we move them, and I know sometimes you have to do things, but there are rules and regulations that could apply and sometimes local rules, so you'd want to check with them before you haul one and release it. And it's unlawful, I believe, in this state to release wildlife on state-owned lands without Ooh, permission. Really? So taking something to a state park, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that, that you shouldn't be doing that. So you'd want to check with a state park or, or be really sneaky, I guess. <laughs> hope you get away with thing. I, I don't know. I was going to say, doesn't the same apply to rabbits? I know my sister-in-law in New Ulm will talk about, you know, live capturing the rabbits and feels good about them letting them go somewhere else. And I did mention what you'd said one time is chances are they don't live anyway. And she goes, I don't want to know that. But that's kind of like squirrels, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I know a friend in Heartland, he was hauling them. I know he was hauling them three and a half miles away, squirrels, and he'd put a little color finally on their tails. Oh, wow. And some of them did make it back from that distance. But the thing is, if you have a wonderful yard that is squirrely, one that squirrels, a squirrel realtor brings everybody in and said, this is your place. <laughs> if it's that good, if you move two squirrels out of there, then there's going to be room for two more squirrels to move in. So you're going to get replacement squirrels really promptly because they're going to say, I wonder why the other squirrels left. Man, this is a beautiful place, and the price is right. This is where we're going to be. So it is, uh, it, it's one of those things, and I know people are uh, doing this, and they're well-meaning, and they're not cruel. They're being nice, but it, it's just a tough thing to do. And speaking of being nice, you got something from John from New Ulm. I did. When he sent a Christmas card, uh, a lovely Christmas card with a kitten on it because he knows I like cats, He, this is his question about the new year. He says, wow, 2019 is almost gone. Where did the time go and what did I do? The two questions I ask myself every year. I think that's one we ask all of ourselves, John. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, we all have all those things, but you know, sit down sometime, John, and write down on a piece of paper everything you accomplished. You grow, you grow weary of writing down your accomplishments. It's amazing what uh, what people get done. Uh, one last thing I have before we get to the cafe is um, three things to listen. Uh, current events to listen to these things. Use your good ear and listen to the whistled Phoebe song of the black-capped chickadee, the drumming of a downy woodpecker on a resonant surface, and the blue jay's pump handle call, kind of a queedle, 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 
these are all signs that the days are lengthening, and uh, so it it gives us gives us hope by listening to those things. I hope you all come to the cafe at the in the new year where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. You know, we had a great Christmas this year. I, I get excited about Christmas each year. I look forward to it. But I can't help but look back at Christmas's past. There's just something about being a human. We look back. And as a boy, I got brown bags, brown paper bags from the school, the church, and the city. Three places each Christmas. It was a big deal. I got the same brown bag of goodies at each place. Each bag contained a red delicious apple that wasn't delicious, uh, aged peanuts in the shell, ribbon candy that was so hard any leftovers were used to fill the potholes in the streets, and another hard candy that had Christmas tree icons on each end that was like chewing marbles. And it sounds dreadful, doesn't it? It wasn't. It was wonderful. They were great days. And I hope you're having a great day. Remember Heartland is while we're driving past. Um, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company as always. Happy New Year to everyone. Well, happy 2020 to you. I guess we can say I'll talk to you next year, Al. I look forward to it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.